Hi and welcome to Golden Impact, the podcast that deciphers what impact really is when it comes to financing or growing businesses. I am Orient Tang and during my graduate exchange semester at UC Berkeley, I have dug into the investment thesis and core motivations of impact fund managers, entrepreneurs and teachers. For the first episode of this podcast, we are extremely lucky to meet with Shuo Chen. Shuo was recently nominated among the Forbes 30 under 30 venture capitalists for her extensive work with more than 60 startups, hundreds of students, along with institutions like the California Mental Health Commission, Goldman Sachs and Decode, just to name a few. For us, Shuo shares her experience, feedback and advice, as well as her thoughts on impact and scale. Ready to make a positive impact? Let's start with Shua's story. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, first of all, for having me on the podcast, Orian. And um, a brief self-intro, I run a venture fund based out of Silicon Valley focused on seed stage B2B startups powering future of work. And outside of that, I've been teaching on the faculty at UC Berkeley, um, where I've actually been teaching entrepreneurship um, through different programs now for a little over 10 years. So really excited to share with everyone a little bit more about my journey. Uh, so maybe a quick recap. I was actually an impact entrepreneur myself, uh, ran a startup back in the day that sits at the intersection of fintech and edtech. But really what we were doing, uh, we're focused on solving issues that the three co-founders um, had, all, the, all three of us had shared in common, which is financial literacy related challenges. So our startup was really focused on software as well as content around building more financial literacy and enabling young professionals to be better at managing their own money. So um, from that particular experience, we eventually were acquired out of that particular experience. I ended up joining Goldman Sachs in investment banking where I covered very traditional tech companies. Well, I probably shouldn't say traditional because they were very cutting edge at the time, uh, but worked on deals like helping Google acquire Motorola. And those are kind of two generations of tech giants um, working with each other. I uh, worked on a number of international deals, um, and um, also had the chance to help rebuild a new team within the Goldman ecosystem and ended up working with a lot of VCs and investors in that particular role, met my business partner, and we've been investing together on the venture side since 2014. So we had done a number of personal investments since 2014, institutionalized fund one in 2016 and fund two end of 2017. So we've fortunately seen a number of startups evolve through the different stages and certainly uh, predominantly invest in for-profit startups, though I've mentored and advised plenty of impact startups throughout this period of time. So happy to chat more about not just impact entrepreneurship, but also impact investing. So you split your daily uh, work uh, between investing mostly and mentoring and on the other side, teaching. Could you please um, explain to a five-year-old uh, what would like your investing job um, be? 
Absolutely. So if I were trying to explain to a five-year-old, and there's plenty of five-year-olds in my <laughs> life, uh, lots of friends, kids are kind of around that age mark. So if I were trying to explain to my, at my job to a five-year-old friend, I would say, you know, uh, there's some really big problems in the world. And I usually would engage the child and ask, what are some of the biggest problems that you see? And then I'll explain that, you know, some of the problems that you've identified, I actually work with. And you'll see that all of these problems you cited are usually some of the world's biggest problems, and it can't be solved by one person. So usually there is one of the key people solving it, which is kind of like a startup CEO, startup founder-like role. And there's a ton of people behind that person helping them and working together to actually solve this bigger problem together. So I'm one of the people behind the scenes helping this wonderful person who's at the forefront solve this big problem. So that's how I would explain my role. Wonderful. And what is the difference from your experience from being this person, helping the person at the forefront and being the one at the forefront from your experience of impact entrepreneurship mm -hmm. so certainly have seen both sides of the table <laughs> when I was an entrepreneur myself honestly I didn't ever think that I would want to become an investor because I very much enjoyed being the one who was actually doing and executing and building um, and it eventually took me a couple of years in between of doing personal investments on the side, working with other wonderful investors in my life that I came to see that investors are just entrepreneurs behind entrepreneurs, right? So we're kind of this secret entrepreneurs behind the scenes, leveraging our experiences, expertise to add value to founders who are every day executing and building. So the biggest difference I would say is that while the founder is the one who's at the forefront. Um, we have the ability to leverage our resources and expertise and knowledge to help a slew of different entrepreneurs to hopefully avoid some of the mistakes that we had personally made or help them get to where they want to go a little faster. So um, of course, um, you can see in my description, biggest differences, one's at the forefront, one you're in the background, you're supporting. The end of the day, you're not the operator. And it comes with both um, opportunities as well as challenges. So the biggest opportunity is that, of course, we get to work with a portfolio of founders. And the challenge is that you're no longer working on one issue, but rather tackling and trying to help uh, a number of different people with different issues. Wonderful. Thank you very much for this explanation. Moving on, we will focus more on impact. We've touched upon that, but as an introduction, What is impact? So I really appreciate the question because I think everyone can define impact in a different way. So I personally like to think of impact as scalable, scalable solutions. Um, so entrepreneurship is directly tied with impact in many ways. So I define entrepreneurship as the most efficient solution to a problem. And I think for there to be impact, it has to to be a scalable solution, not necessarily the most efficient solution like entrepreneurship, because many times in impact, you're not optimizing for efficiency of solution, but you're optimizing for actually the scalability of results, right? So mm -hmm. that's how I would differentiate between entrepreneurship and impact. So oftentimes you'll have entrepreneurship uh, entrepreneurs and founders that sit at the intersection of both where they're impact entrepreneurs, right? So they're trying to build the most efficient solution, but that also have the most scalable results. So I think Both are 
possible to coexist, but oftentimes do tend to be in its two separate buckets. Because if you are an entrepreneur running a startup, you're typically going after fundraising from for-profit venture funds and other investors in that category. Whereas if you are an impact founder, oftentimes you are not optimizing for a bottom line, but you're going after foundations and nonprofits to raise funding for that particular project. And so um, scalability doesn't have to be defined as how many people is reached, but it can be defined also as the depth of relationship that's built, right? So I, I still like the word scalability in terms of thinking about reaching as many people as you can and having as big of an impact or depth of impact. Um, but usually scalability is how I like to think about what is being optimized here. When so you mentor uh, impact entrepreneurs, would you rather advise them to uh, go for a more traditional for-profit accelerator like Y Combinator to uh, put the most famous one uh, or foundations uh, and very impact oriented accelerators. What would be your advice? Yeah, so even in the class that I teach, I always share this with students. I've actually gotten this question many times in different iterations and forms in class. So of course, take my opinion with a grain of salt because there's no absolute right or wrong black and white answer to this. Um, it's just based off of everyone's preference. But from what I've seen, in my limited experience, I usually advise in the very early days that entrepreneurs go for one or the other. Reason being, in many ways, when you're optimizing for profit, as a natural result of that, you will, by default, have impact on the group that you have targeted. Vice versa, if you're optimizing for impact, oftentimes, as long as you reach that scalability of impact, however that's defined, that will help get to other results. For example, you're adding enough value to a highly scalable solution, then of course value is gonna naturally follow that. But I usually recommend to optimize for one or the other because when you're standing in the middle, you end up not being able to optimize for either. So for the first opinion, my argument will be, some of the largest for-profit companies have done more good in terms of quote unquote impact than many of the startups that are claiming they only do nonprofit work, right? So if we think about platforms like Uber, for example, you could say they've created more jobs than any particular nonprofit has been able to, despite whichever section of the population they're focusing on. So of course, we can kind of debate about what are the results, social welfare impact, but depending on what the KPI we're optimizing for would be, right? So if we're talking about job creation and wealth generation and giving people more flexibility at work, et cetera. There is an argument that even for-profit platforms like Uber have created a ton of good for society. Vice versa, if we were talking about the impact world of things where all we do is optimize for scalability of solution, we can look at platforms like um, the Gates Foundation. We could look at platforms like Khan Academy. In fact, um, I had hosted a conversation with Sal Khan um, not too long ago. And for anyone who's interested in that conversation, I think it's uploaded onto YouTube now through the nonprofit that we had the conversation through. I think if folks Google decode space build Cellcon, that conversation should come up. And um, 
you know, there we talked about how what you're optimizing for here is fundraising, right? Fundraising from donors and really fundraising in the sense that how do we optimize for people to want to donate? That is a whole art in and of itself, right? So through doing enough fundraising, you can still create huge, tremendous impact by leveraging technology with a platform like Khan Academy, right? And they're not a for-profit. They are fully a nonprofit. So both have its own merits. You're just optimizing for slightly different results with different means. I love your example about Uber because I think it really touches uh, what impact is because yes, they have created a lot of jobs, but at the same time, the social conditions are terrible uh, in some parts of the world. The carbon impact is very high. So if we are to make an investment thesis where you, we want to maximize uh, both profits and impacts, what according to you would be a good one given these two objectives? Mm -hmm. So impact can be defined in many ways, not just sustainability, right? There's all of these other things that come with as well and not even limited to someone who operates in the physical world like Uber. In fact, um, now we're doing a lot of research within AI and we're starting to have conversations like, okay, well, when we train AI, what we end up doing is putting a lot of data through hardware compute. And what powers hardware compute? Oftentimes, not necessarily clean sources of energy, right? So even something that is work purely done in the virtual world has huge sustainability impact. So if even though for a university, say like Berkeley or Stanford to do AI research that ultimately generates more kind of impact from a human good perspective, because we're doing research with healthcare data, well, are we using sustainable sources of energy to actually power that particular research? So I think Uber is not necessarily the only example where sustainability applies. There's definitely unexpected ways in which sustainability actually has a huge impact on how we do work and how we teach. In fact, we could even argue that in education, oftentimes the way that we teach engineering, for example, does not allow us to optimize for uses of clean energy. So to come back to your original question on how we think about this, again, on impact, it depends on what we're optimizing for. So if you are a nonprofit, startup nonprofit, let's just say a nonprofit startup trying to optimize for job creation, well, it's very hard for you to create a nonprofit that outdoes Uber in terms of job creation. So does jobs at Uber come with all the benefits and considerations for carbon? No, but does it outperform on this one particular metric compared to any other startup nonprofit? Yes. So I think at the end of the day, it doesn't mean we can't optimize for everything at the same time, but it certainly says that when we start, you have to be very clear where your North Star is. So if your North Star is all about sustainability, that, that is the one metric you should optimize for at compromise and cost of every other particular metric that you're optimizing for. But if your number one metric is job creation and job creation for low income populations, for people who otherwise don't have access to jobs, uh, who otherwise don't have access to income, that's another thing that you optimize for at cost of everything else. Now, is Uber necessarily the best example of a company that's just optimizing for wealth creation? No, but it's an example that we bring in here to look at how we would have different models that can get us to similar results depending on what you're optimizing for. So if we're talking now about my personal opinion for what is the best, I 
fundamentally still believe that economic incentives play a very big role in terms of how we are incentivized to do things. So I think in order for impact to take place, you really do need to make sure that there are economic models that ultimately align incentives or realign incentives where it previously wasn't um, to realign uh, incentives so that the price and cost associated with actions genuinely reflect what the true costs and incentives are. So for example, even with things like carbon, uh, with clean energy, how do we actually realign stakeholders' different incentives so that when they pollute, those actions are actually reflected in terms of the ultimate price that is paid, right? I think then that kind of takes us down into this consideration of, okay, is this a private domain conversation we should be having or is this a public domain conversation? So this is where oftentimes we get into this, okay, is this public policy? Is this something that our government should be responsible for or is this something that private corporations should be thinking about? This particular point in time, I think, is very unique because for the first time, we actually see plenty of private companies playing the role that governments used to play in many ways, right? We used to have, uh, at least here in the US, I think in Europe, it's a little bit different because France, for example, has much better social welfare systems in many ways than we do here in the US. But when you look at that particular ecosystem, in some ways, we almost expect companies to provide for welfare, for companies to be considerate of environmental sustainability um, uh, for diversity concerns. So I think it takes us down a very different path of discussion and debate than, you know, if we were just talking about, okay, what is the ideal model? So back to my personal view, I think there needs to be a healthy balance where companies are not expected to do the work that governments do because the incentives are aligned very differently. So we as consumers can be very conscientious in deciding where we spend our money, but I don't think it should be solely up to us as individual consumers to have that responsibility to be spending money on environmentally conscious brands. But this is really where we need to do more from a civic engagement perspective to have government intervention where necessary to set up and follow the standards that hold all corporations responsible, right? So I do think that this is a conversation where we do need active interaction between public and private sectors. And then within the private sector, what I think makes sense is that Number one, this is very different than any generation we've ever seen before because Gen Z is the first time where we have individuals who are willing to rank value above money. So they are not necessarily going to take jobs where they're paid the most, but rather they're willing to take jobs that create more meaning and value than they care about jobs. What does that mean? Well, it partly means that we're at a point in time where people are sufficiently economically compensated that survival and making money for living isn't the utmost concern, right? So it definitely speak to, speaks to progress of all of us as a society. So I think that is a very promising turn where if you are not a impact conscientious corporation, there is probably not going to be a very long-term future for you, right? Especially when we look at this incoming generation of consumers, but also employees. Number two, I think what's another really promising trend is that with technology, it has become pretty evident that non-sustainable methods of any type 
is not going to continue to be the most economically viable. I think we've seen that in electric cars, we've seen that in clean energy, we've seen that in solar power, we've seen that kind of really kind of have its butterfly effects throughout all industries where people are starting to realize, even if they're a traditional manufacturing company, say in materials and plastics, they're realizing now we have to be in the business in investing in new sustainable materials because what we currently do is not going to guarantee long-term success. So I think these two are the main factors that I believe will help us and bring us towards a very optimistic future where people and values are going to, uh, and technology are really going to help us get to a place where we can hold corporations traditionally that were not responsible, now responsible in an unprecedented way. I fully agree. So our generation had the privilege not to know any war and COVID just pushed us to even more realize how precious our planet is and how important this, uh, the social aspects are. And we, we have the luxury to choose the company uh, we want to work in and the, the products we want to buy. And we want to do it in a very responsible way. Would you have in mind uh, an example of a company which manages to have both the scalability in terms of profit, but also in terms of impact? Yeah, so the way that I like to think about this is that um, I think it's a positive feedback loop. So I tend to think technology enables for innovation, which then lowers the barriers for diversity of voices. So for example, the creation of or the proliferation of the internet has enabled more people to be able to spread their messages and their voice across the internet. And as a result, that's created more diversity of voices. And as a result of more diversity of voices, that then actually enables more innovation to happen because by allowing more people to pitch in their ideas, we will ultimately get access to better ideas and more innovation. So I think innovation and diversity kind of tie into one another. So if, you know, even going back to your earlier question for a bit, I think at nature, I'm a very optimistic person. So I ultimately do think that the best results will win out even if in the short term, they seem only to be optimizing for economic return, I still think that we, at the end of the day, are all humans and we have values beyond just financial returns. And so even if at the beginning, that is what we're optimizing for, eventually this innovation after its initial monetization period is going to naturally enable in, uh, diversity, which then improves the way that we think about values, which then help us drive further innovation. So. To come back to your specific example idea, honestly, there hasn't been many companies that have been able to do both very well uh, so far, especially not at the beginning. I don't think at the beginning that's possible. In the long run, maybe eventually possible, but in the short term when they're just starting, I think that's a no-go. So even if I'm advising entrepreneurs in this space, I always tell them either be really good at fundraising. If you're a nonprofit, make sure you have your donor base down, you know how to get people to donate and do your work, add a lot of value, and then eventually think about monetization or vice versa. Just think about a really robust business model, make a ton of money. And then at the end of the day, don't lose sight of why you started this particular company, right? So after you have a robust business model, then you have more flexibility to do other things that create impact in other ways. That's not directly in terms of improving profitability and bottom line. 
So in the long term, when we kind of stretch it out on a time horizon, we can argue that companies who have gone down both paths have managed to convene somewhere along the spectrum, not directly quite in the middle. Uh, but if we look at what companies do, almost all major corporations will do donation matching of employees, right? Almost all of them will have CSR commitments. And most of the corporate social responsibility commitments aren't just for show. Most of them are directly tied to their business model where they do take that very seriously. So I've met very few kind of Fortune 500 companies that just do that for show and don't actually mean that because how can you actually propel that kind of corporate culture unless you really mean it, right? So um, I do think it's a very bottoms up effort where more and more companies that went down this full on for-profit path are kind of coming back down the spectrum a little bit to think about, okay, now that we have a really robust business model, how can we do more good in the world? And even for companies like Facebook that have been able to really monetize, you now have whistleblowers who are coming out to talk about, okay, we can't just maximize for profit. We have to think about the impact of social media platforms on mental health and youth, et cetera, right? And then of course, there's the complete other end of the spectrum where you have nonprofits that started out with completely optimizing for donations, but over time, they're starting to think about what are other business models that we can engage in that may ultimately drive revenue for us. So for example, since the pandemic, Khan Academy has started a few spinouts where they're still nonprofit, but that has potential for long-term monetization where if they're able to create certifications that help us without students all going through the same uh, traditional educational ecosystem, but be certified for specific skills like CS, well, that could potentially lead to revenue down the line where we can do other things with that particular income stream, right? So I do think eventually companies won't be at one extreme end or the other, but they'll all start to kind of come into the spectrum and lay out somewhere among that. So caveat all of this by saying, I wouldn't claim to be an expert in this by any chance. Um, I've, of course, had my limited experiences. There are people who have spent their entire career in impact investing who would be able to speak so much more knowledgeably to all of this um, than I would be able to. So I'm really coming from the perspective of someone who is impact conscientious as a former impact investor uh, or former impact founder now fully investing in for-profit companies, but with a very conscientious lens of where we allocate our capital is how our future gets built, right? Uh, we do take our jobs very seriously because of course, our job is essentially to fund what the future will look like. So if we're not funding diverse entrepreneurs, they of course also have to be the best entrepreneurs working on those solutions. But if we don't fund diverse entrepreneurs, then we're probably not going to have a future that looks very diverse in nature, right? So we do think that again, Diversity and innovation are very closely intertwined and positively feed to in, into one another. How would you link that to the financial literacy objectives you had when you first you when you first launched your business? Yeah, so um, when I first launched, there were a few main sources of data that we were very concerned about. So we were seeing the fact that U.S. college level student loans and student debt was climbing to unprecedented numbers where it was becoming um, the number one uh, or number two source of debt in the U.S. 
um, immediately after mortgages and surpassed auto loans. So that was a huge thing for us where if students didn't know how to manage their student loans well, then that has huge implications on their credit scores and the rest of their decisions in the rest of their adult lives. So that was one of the first things that we had noticed. The second thing is that there's plenty of skills we learn in school that don't ever necessarily become useful in a day-to-day setting. For example, um, if we're learning calculus in college, many people will never use calculus in the rest of their lives again, but everyone will have to use and learn to manage money. So we saw kind of both of these where there was a rising problem and the fact that this is a necessary survival skill to have and thought, what were some of the things that we could do in this space? But when we were launching our startup back in the day, it was really going back to first principles and thinking about, okay, so there's this huge problem that people want to solve. What can we practically do about this right now with what resources we have access to. So that's actually how I started my teaching career. So what we did was we lobbied the school to build a course around financial literacy and money management. We were allocated a classroom that fit about a little over 30 people um, because we didn't know how many people would be interested. With very limited marketing, we ended up getting over 600 applications. And even after we emailed everyone saying, sorry, we just don't have space. Our classroom fits like 34 people. Um, We still had almost, I think, over 200 people, almost nearly 300 people kind of try to show up on the first day and try to get into class. So we eventually were able to upgrade the classroom to one that I think fit a little over 100 people, but we still couldn't accommodate nearly as many people that wanted to take the class. So I do encourage anyone who's thinking about building an impact startup to think about, okay, go back to the core. What is this problem that you're really passionate about solving? What is the most efficient solution you can think of that's actually buildable by you, given your background and experiences? And lastly, whether or not this is something that you have some sort of direct personal relationship or connection to firsthand experience with. All of that is extremely important because sometimes we look at you know, here's this major issue that we want to solve. But if you have no personal connection during the tough times, you will give up on trying to solve that problem, right? Because it's not as close to your heart. So I think all of those pieces are extremely important. What's the problem? Is this the most efficient solution? Is this something that you really, truly are personally passionate about? Do you have in mind a musical song that you think represents impact? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, before I even get to the song, I think impact is different and differently defined by every single person, depending on what's important to them. I think even just kind of in my own life, I've thought about impact in so many different ways. So it's difficult to contextualize. So I will answer your particular question from a purely hobby perspective. So from a hobby perspective, one of my biggest hobbies is growing stuff. So I really like to grow all sorts of heirloom varieties of all types of edibles, like vegetables and fruits. And I I like kind of the rare varieties and I love spending time in nature. So whenever I think of music, I always think of things that integrate parts of nature into a particular song. So I don't know if you will take an instrumental uh, for an answer, but if you will take an instrumental um, for an answer, there is this particular music group that I really like. Um, They play all ancient Chinese instruments and they always integrate elements of, 
nature. So they'll either put in um, sounds of flowing water or they'll leverage waves and wind. And um, that's something I always listen to when I try to go to bed. I don't think that they have an English name, but um, if I were to think of a song um, or music that uh, has any kind of sense of impact, I would think there. Um, but of course, this is in a purely personal capacity, um, not related to kind of my work elsewhere. this uh, episode up. Uh, so it, the idea is to do very quick questions, quick answers. You don't have to justify. Uh, mm -hmm. so, so would you prefer ESG or impact? Impact. Teaching or investing? Investing. Bitcoin or I think Ethereum? Both are interlinked. So yeah, but I, <laughs> I would choose investing. All right. Bitcoin or Ethereum? <laughs> Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> and who would you like to hear uh, on this podcast? Oh, so many people. I uh, actually recently had a guest speaker, um, Josh Don, in my class at Berkeley. Um, he's Elon Musk's co-founder in this new platform that they're building. So spun out of, uh, obviously, the school that they had on campus at SpaceX, and they've leveraged digital technology to create a platform that gives all students access to that particular way of learning, thinking about problem solving. So I think he would be great. And uh, someone who I've never heard from, um, but I would like to hear talking about impact. I think I really like Melinda Gates' approach to thinking about impact in that it has to also generate financial return because that's how you determine that it truly had impact. Because if you're creating enough value, there's definitely someone you can find in the ecosystem or in the value chain that will be willing to pay for that. So I really like some of the latest investments that she's made where she's very financial return conscious. Um, so yeah, I've heard plenty of, in fact, I've seen her speak, but I would love to hear her on this podcast. Wow, so this is a big objective you're giving me, but uh, let's try to <laughs> let's try to achieve it. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you very much all for listening. This was the Golden Impact Podcast with me, Orient Tang, interviewing Shuo Shen. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and talk about it around you. And you can also contact me on LinkedIn if you have any questions. Thank you very much and speak to you soon.